Heavenly Father, we thank you. We love you. We're excited about you. We're excited about what you're doing in our lives, in this church, in our community, in this country. And Lord, we're so grateful that we get to be a part of it. We get to be right smack in the middle of it. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you here in a way of, of teaching us, encouraging us, convicting us, challenging us through your word. So we open our hearts to receive from you. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, back in, not back in, a few weeks ago, May 7th. Yes, May 7th, before Mother's Day. I started a series, and I'm calling it Relational Etiquette 101. Relational Etiquette, or Relationship Etiquette, whichever one is more grammatically appropriate or right, I don't know. But anyway, we're talking about relationships. And... Um, I started that then, and, and so if you were not here on May 7th, I would highly recommend you listen to that so that you can keep up with what's, uh, what we're talking about and, and discussing and everything, or actually we're not discussing, I'm just talking and you're listening, right? So, but I would highly recommend you listen to that as I'm going to continue today. John 13, verse 34, it says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, love each other. So here's the new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So how are we supposed to love each other? Just like Jesus loved us. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So he says, I give you a new commandment, and here it is. Love one another just like, or in the same way, or exactly as I love you. And this is what will prove to the world that you're my disciples, how you love one another. You know, I find it interesting that it, he didn't say the world will know you're my disciples because you can heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and pray in tongues and all those things. He, he didn't say that's how they'll know you're my disciples. He said they'll know by how you love one another. And so my question last time was, what does this look like? Because many of us, if not all of us, have heard that passage. We've heard we're to love one another as Jesus loved us, and by this will the world know that we're his disciples. We've all heard that. But what does it look like? I mean, what, is it gonna, what are we going to be doing to cause the world to look at us and say, that's a disciple of Jesus, that's a follower of Jesus? What is that going to look like? Because we can... Um, we can agree with things in theory, but I don't think Jesus wants it just to stay with theory. He wants, to be, wants it to be in our practice, our everyday life, right? So I believe it's going to look like us living by biblical kingdom principles that have to do with relationship. It looks like us, in relationship, living by biblical principles that have to do with relationship. If we live by those things and we treat each other accordingly then the world's going to look at us and know that we're his disciples. And I believe that those principles, they're not hard, they're not complex, it's not sophisticated in this, this elite system that you've got to try to figure out. It's very simple, but it's not necessarily easy. It's very simple. And the cool thing is, is he gives us the grace and the ability to do it. So it's something that's simple, and it's something that we've been empowered to do. Jesus doesn't give us a command and then expect us to, uh, to fulfill it in our own strength. He gives us the ability to follow through with that. 
And so we talked about, last time I, I shared four biblical principles. One was hearing both sides of a story or gather all the facts before drawing a conclusion. I mean, how often do we fall into that where someone comes to me and tells me, man, this is what happened, this is what this guy did, this is what she did, this is what she said, and et cetera. And then based on what he told me, I come to a conclusion concerning the circumstance or that other person. And I haven't even allowed the other person to share their side, or I haven't even given myself the opportunity to find out the full story. And so how often do we come to conclusions when we've only heard half the facts? And typically, most of the time, our conclusions are wrong. It's not that the person that comes and tells you their side of the story is lying to you. It's just that they're not giving you all the facts. They're giving you their perspective. I was sharing, my son asked me on the way to church this morning, he said, hey, Dad, what are you preaching on? And so I was kind of telling him a little bit of this, and I said, for example, and of course I used his older brothers as an example because he's perfect, so I didn't have any examples for him. But I was saying, you know, for example, like, like if Joseph... Uh, no, let's say if Grant came, and he's crying, and he's, Dad, Joseph hit me. Uh, and I have six kids, four older boys that are gone. And Well, anyway, they, this was a common thing when one would hit the other. Very common. But anyway, let's say Joseph would, Grant would come and crying and maybe bloodied or black-eyed or whatever and crying and saying, Daddy, Grant, or um, Joseph hit me. I get my kids all mixed up. He hit me, and he's all crying everything. Now, my tendency could be to get up and get mad because I see the evidence on Grant's face that he's been hit. And so I go in there, and I can tear into Joseph. Say, how dare you hit your brother? And, or, I mean, how many of us know people who've done that? <laughs> you know, you see, you hear one side, and you react. And you go tear into that one child, of course, in a loving way. But you go... And you say, how dare you hit your brother? I can't believe you did that. And, and whatever we punish or whatever we do. Versus saying, Joseph, did you hit Grant? Yes, I did. Why did you hit Grant? Well, I was laying here reading a comic book. And all of a sudden, he came and hit me upside the head with his wiffle ball bat. Oh, Grant, did you hit Joseph? Yeah. Well, you didn't tell me that. So you see what I'm saying? Grant didn't lie. I mean, Joseph did hit him, but he, he failed to divulge all of the information that we need to come to a logical and a, and a correct conclusion. And we do that all the time, or I'm going to say all the time. We do that often. We hear one side of the story, and we come to a conclusion. And the Bible says, don't do that. That's foolishness, because we're going to come to the wrong conclusion. Number two, we talked about not giving your ear to gossip. Gossip is a major killer and a destroyer of relationships. Number three, give people the benefit of the doubt. Give people the benefit of the doubt, believing the best about them, believing they're innocent until proven guilty. You know, a lot of times because of our hurts, because we become suspicious. So we see somebody and we're suspicious of them. They haven't even done anything. We haven't heard anything about them, but we're suspicious of them. And then we're just waiting for them to mess up to prove our suspicion. And so what can happen is no matter what they do, even if they do something, they make an innocent mistake or whatever, aha, see, I knew there was something wrong with them. I knew she was a Jezebel. I just knew it. And we're so quick to label people because of our preconceived judgments. So I encourage you, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. Just, that's what we do. That's our default is benefit of the doubt. I'm, I'm bene- you're, you're okay, you're good. Now if you cross me, no, I'm just kidding. All right, and number four, Talk with any person. Here's another big one. 
talk to people. Now we're talking, all this is in context of, of relational or family, church family relationships, okay? And I mean, we need to do this in all parts of life, but I'm talking about, remember Jesus said, how you treat each other will prove to the world that you're his disciples. So we're talking in context of, of church family. But here's something I, I challenge you because this doesn't happen often enough. If you perceive or know that someone has something against you or someone's upset with you or there's a rift or something between you and another person, go into that situation and deal with it. But what we typically do is we avoid that situation and run away from it. And that causes problems. That is not the mature way to handle it. Matter of fact, Jesus told us, he said, you know, if you're going to the altar to present your gift before God and there remember that someone has something against you, he says, go ahead and continue to worship and offer your gift to God and take care of that later. Oh, is that not what he said? He says, actually, to leave the gift there and go take care of the relationship thing first and then come back and offer that to God. So God doesn't want our gifts until our relationships are taken care of. He places a premium on relationship. Do you realize that the kingdom is all about relationship? If you take away all relationship from the kingdom, there is no kingdom. There is no kingdom of heaven if you remove relationship. It's all about relationship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, relationship they have with each other. The Father affirms Jesus. This is my beloved Son. I'm well pleased. They work together. Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Strong relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We were lost in our sin. God sacrificed his best so that we could have relationship with him. Right? He gave us, those of us who've been born again, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation as though we're appealing to men to, be draw, to draw close to God. It's all about relationship. Everything Jesus commanded, he says, go into the world and make disciples. In other words, have them follow me just like you're following me. Have them teach them how to have a relationship with the Father like I've taught you. It's all about relationship. You can't escape relationship. And you know the number one need and desire for everyone on the planet Number one need for everyone on the planet is connection. We are designed, created, and made for connection, not to be all by ourselves. So that's what we talked about last time, so I would encourage you to get more details and listen to that, um, that podcast. So I'm going to talk about four today, four biblical principles that deal with relationships. And if we would walk in these and make these our practice then the world's going to say, you know what? The way these people are treating each other, I want some of that. Tell me about what it is I need to get what I see you guys have. Because everybody wants to be connected. Everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to be accepted. I was telling with you, so the first, the number one that we're talking about today, I shared with you, you've heard me say many times that uh, when my first son was born, Trey, who's now 25, when he was first born, well, I was excited, happy to be a new dad and parent, all that kind of stuff. We're celebrating everything until we got home and reality hit. All that joy kind of went away because this kid decided that he wasn't going to let me sleep at night. <laughs> he decided, hey, dad, since I'm up, I might as well keep you up too. Let's party. No, son, I want to go to sleep because I have to work. Anyway, it didn't work out. Uh, you know, Lisa was trying to nurse him. It didn't work out for whatever reason. And so 
when he would wake up in the middle of the night, fortunately, because she wasn't nursing, I got to take turns with her in feeding him in the middle of the night. Yeah, woohoo. But anyway, the, the problem was is he didn't, he was, he'd wake up a lot. Every night, every night he'd wake up. So I'd get up, be wide awake, feeding him and all that kind of stuff. And what happened is I began to develop, well, I don't say, I'm going to say develop. It was already there. I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. Anger began to rise up out of me like I never knew I had anger. Do you guys remember back in the years ago, I can't remember when, whenever Trey was born, actually before he was born, there were these commercials that would come on TV. Maybe they still show them now. And I think they were put up by DHS. And it was about, um, like, uh, they show moms and she would be real angry. And, and they were talking about, I don't know what it's called, but how they would shake their babies to death or they'd kill them unintentionally because the baby wouldn't stop crying. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that's what I said. But yeah, that right there, how they would, they would unintentionally kill their babies because they just couldn't take, the, the anger was building up. When I saw that first, I was not a parent. I had many judgments towards those people in that video. Are you kidding me? What the heck is wrong with you? And, and I seriously had judgments towards people that would even think about hurting their children that way. But when I became a parent, all kinds of compassion just oozed out of me towards those people. Because I could relate, I'm like, oh girl, I feel your pain. Because all of a sudden, I felt the kind of anger that they were talking about, that they were experiencing, and they would snap. And it, it was so strong that I, I became afraid. I became afraid because I was concerned that a little boy was going to get hurt. Now, I know I may be kind of joking around, but I'm serious. I was really concerned. And it's like, God, this is not good. This anger, wherever it came from, is not good because I was beginning to resent this little boy because of lack of sleep and all that kind of stuff. So I prayed, and the father showed me something. You know, because every time I'd get up, you know, wake up in the morning here crying, and Lisa would say, tag, you're it, it's your turn. You know, we take turns. So she had to get up too in the middle of the night, but this isn't about her. I'm the one preaching right now, so it's about me. So anyway, so we went through this over and over and over and over and just anger and anger and anger and anger and more anger. I cried out for help because I said, God, this is not good. Something's going to happen. It's not good. I don't want to be the next person on the commercial. Actually, I'd be in jail. I wouldn't be on a commercial. So I said, Father, I need help. And he showed me something that I did. And when it's in a short time, he continued to cry. But I knew a change had happened when I found myself waking up. Lisa, tag, you're it. It's your turn. I was going to his room. And I found myself humming a, a song, a worship song. Instead of the anger, all of a sudden there was this joy that surprised me. And that began to happen. It kept happening, kept happening. Now, he didn't all of a sudden, boom, God zapped him and he started sleeping. He was still waking up. So the problem was still there, but the inner condition changed inside of me. And then as I kept walking this out and experiencing joy, then all of a sudden he started sleeping through the night. And we lived happily ever after. <laughs> so you say, what was that one thing that changed? Because it's a very simple concept, very simple, that changed my life. And it, it can and will change yours too if you apply it. Let me ask you this question. Think of, close your eyes so you can concentrate. Because, you know, looking at the inside of our eyelids helps us to concentrate. Close your eyes and think when the last time you got angry. And it didn't have to be a big, severe thing. It had to be severe. But just the last time you got mad at somebody... 
Now, we're not talking about dogs, kicking your dog. I'm talking about the last time you got angry, whether it was your spouse, whether it was a child or something, when's the last time you got angry? Think about that. And let me ask you this question. Okay, you can open your eyes. The last time you got angry at somebody, was there a right that they violated of yours? In other words, that something happened, you thought that they should have done this, or there was an expectation, that's what I meant, an expectation. You thought they should or were supposed to do this, and they didn't do it, and you got angry because of that expectation that you had that they didn't fulfill. If you think about your anger and what caused it, I mean, see if that applies. In most cases, an expectation that you had was violated or ignored or whatever, and you got angry. And the Lord showed me, he says, see, son, you, you have an expectation. You feel like you have a right to eight hours of sleep every night. And sure enough, because before I was a parent, I could sleep all I want to. And so that was supposed to continue through parenthood. That was my expectation. All of a sudden, this little bundle of joy comes on the scene, and I'm getting three hours of sleep a night, or four or five if, if, if it's a good night. And all of a sudden, he's stomping all over that expectation. He's trampling it. He's kicking it. He's looking at me and smiling at me. He's kicking it. He's trampling it. And I'm getting angry and angry and angry and angry. The Lord said, if you want to be free, I need you to give me that expectation. So what did that look like? Father, I give you my right to a complete night of sleep. I give that to you. If I get eight hours, I'm going to be dancing and, and rejoicing. If I get two hours, I'm going to be dancing, I'm going to be rejoicing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. If I don't get enough sleep, I'm going to trust you with the grace to help me to get through the day. And I sincerely and wholeheartedly gave that to him. So then I had no expectation to sleep all through the night. So guess what? Tag your it, time to get up. I was expecting to get up. Anger went away. It's almost like magic, but it wasn't magic. It was a kingdom principle that I implemented, and it changed the whole dynamic of our relationship. So point is, first thing we have to do is we have to deal with our expectations when it comes to relationships. Because if you look at the offenses you've had, or the ups, you know, when we get in conflict, a lot of times in the body, in family, it has to do with expectations. We have to surrender those to the Lord. Father, I give my expectation to be respected. You know, men, we, we get upset because our wives disrespect us. Or we feel disrespected. And we get upset because we feel like we have a right to be respected. Now, should our wives respect us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does it give me a right before God to be angry and get bitter at her when she doesn't respect me? No. Because he says to love her regardless. And so we, you know, so when people say, well, he made me or she made me angry or whatever, no, we've given them power. I used to, <laughs> when my kids would, uh, you probably know people that have kids like this too. When, when one of the kids, one of those kids would say, he made me so angry, so I smacked him upside the head. And I was like, oh, he made you angry. And what I used to do with my boys is I'd get the remote control, 
in a TV remote, and I'd say, you gave him power over you to be able to push your buttons and, and make you change channels and do all that. He gave you given him that kind of power? And when they see it in that light, they, they think, they see how ridiculous that is. It's like, he doesn't have power over you. You're giving him power over you, and he can push your buttons because, man, our boys knew how to push each other's buttons. <laughs> and you're allowing him to cause you to get angry. The same thing in the church. We're allowing people to push our buttons, and then we're reacting and getting angry. If we, give, we deal with the expectations in a healthy and correct way, there'll be a lot of more healthiness in the body. I mean, imagine it. If we all give our expectations to the Lord, that doesn't give people excuse to abuse or mistreat you. But it gives you the freedom not to react. And that's what we're talking about. See, I'm not responsible for someone how, how someone treats me. I am responsible for how I respond or react. And I want to be able to be free even when someone treats me in a not, not good way. So number one, deal with expectations. Number two, Romans 12, 15 says, in the New King James, it says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's a good song, whatever that is. <laughs> rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, we're all familiar with, and, and, and I believe we do a, a pretty decent job of weeping with those who weep. When someone has experienced a tragedy or someone's going through a hard time, we rally around and we comfort and we're, and we're pretty good at that. I mean, we're not perfect. Not perfect by any means, but we, I think we do a wonderful job, especially in this family. But I think one area where we could really up our game is rejoicing with those who rejoice. And what I mean by that? Celebrating one another. Celebrating one another versus comparing or upping, one-upping each other. Have you ever told the stories like, oh my goodness, man, I went to work yesterday and... And then you share a story of something wonderful, really cool that happened to you. And you're telling your friends. You're like, man, it was so cool. I got to do this and this. And my boss came in and said this. It was awesome. And someone says, oh, yeah, well, that happened to me. However, in other words, their story is even better than yours. That ever happened to you before? Or you know people like that? Instead of celebrating, saying, man, that is awesome. That is so cool. We have to put the attention on us. Because we can't handle the attention being on somebody else. We've got to have it on us. And so one of the big things that keeps us from celebrating each other is jealousy. Is jealousy. We always have to have a better story. Can you, in, for example, let's say you're believing God to help you pay off your debt. And you're asking him for miraculous debt payoff. Lord, I'll just pray that you would just pay off my debt. And you, you know, you're asking, sincerely asking God for that miracle. And all of a sudden, someone gets up here on a Sunday morning, and I say, hey, here, why don't you share your testimony? That's so cool. And they get up, and they share a testimony. Man, for so many years, we've been in debt, and we've just been praying, asking God, and miraculously, someone came up and says, I'm going to pay off your debt. And they get their debt paid off. When that, when that miracle that you're believing for happens to someone else, can you celebrate with them? Can you rejoice with them? Or is it, God, where's mine? I've been praying for that longer than they have. Where's mine? See, jealousy. Jealousy, it is not good. It is not good, saith the Bible. 
1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. Interesting. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? So obviously the, current, the uh, church in Corinth was having some issues with jealousy, bickering, fighting, but they were jealous of one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wrong. So right there, it says, love is not jealous. And then Proverbs 27, 4 says, anger is cruel. Now check this out. Pretty interesting. Anger is cruel, and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. Jealousy. In other words, you think anger, or you think, yeah, anger and wrath is bad? Watch out for jealousy. It'll rob you. It'll mess you, and it'll, it destroys relationships. We need to learn. You know, I remember when the Lord was dealing with me, especially when you see people who it's obvious, maybe you know about the circumstance, or is it, you know, they're, they're wealthy. They're more wealthy than you are. And back in the day, I remember having certain attitudes like, you know, you feel entitled that maybe they ought to lay some of that stuff on your side, you know. Um, or how, that's not fair. That's not fair. How come they get all that? Man, I, I, just want a t I just want a percentage, a little smidgen of that. In other words, we feel entitled that just because they're wealthy and we're not, that they owe us something. And I remember when the Lord started dealing with me this, dealing with me concerning that years ago. He began to challenge and encourage me to celebrate them. So what I began to do is I just bless them. God, get them more. Give them more. Bless them more. And I just pray. And, and it, be, it got to the point to where it was really coming out of my heart. Where, God, I just pray that you bless them. I thank you for them. I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Get them, God. Smack them down with your love even more. Bless them more financially. Just get them. And what I found in my heart that I was free. Jealousy, gone. And any time I feel the jealousy trying to come up, I just begin to bless the person that I feel that jealousy towards. You know, what if someone, what if you want to do something? What if you want to serve in a certain position? What if you want to be on the worship team? Or what if you want to preach? Or what if you want to do something and you're believing and asking God and praying and all that kind of stuff and somebody else gets that what you want? Can you celebrate them? Or are you cursing them and shooting daggers out of your eyeballs towards them? You know, I've heard this, and, and, and if you do this, I'm not, well, it's just a different philosophy. Here's how we did this. Some of us have large families, and, and when it comes to birthdays or Christmas or, you know, when it comes to certain holidays, man, it can be like, oh, man, how are we going to afford all these kids, you know, birthdays and everything? Anyway, I, but I, I just remember hearing or learning that, that some parents would, uh, like, let's say it's little Susie's birthday. And of course, you know, we all give Susie presents and that kind of thing. But what the, what the parents would do is they would give gifts to the other kids too because they don't want the other kids to feel left out. Now, I understand that heart of compassion and everything. However, 
I feel like, and this is what we do different. I'm not saying this is better. This is just what I believe. We learn, because I saw that, I thought, you know, that makes sense. I don't want little Brian to be upset because Trey's getting all the attention, you know. And, but I felt like the Lord was encouraging us. Let's teach all the other kids to celebrate the other one. In other words, we all have one birthday, right? I mean, I know some of us try to have three or four. <laughs> but we all have a birthday. In other words, there was a special time when you showed up on this planet, when God blessed this world with your presence. He gave us you on a certain day. So what we learn to do is, okay, Trey, it's Trey's birthday, and we would encourage all the other kids, hey, tomorrow's going to be Trey's birthday. We're going to have a good time. And we encourage them to anticipate and get excited about Trey's birthday. And over time, they got used to that. You know what? Maybe early on, it's like, well, where's my present? So they'd get upset or get jealous because they wanted the attention and everything. But we just encourage, man, let's celebrate Trey. Let's celebrate Trey. Let's, what are you going to get, Trey? What are you going to make for him? What you, and it was so fun when the kids would, would earn their few dollars and they would spend most of it, if not all of it, buying a gift for their sibling. And they began to celebrate. I remember one of our boys, we, he earned some money. I can't, remember, let's see, I can't remember how. I mean, he just earned some money. We were going on vacation. And this kid, he bought, he had to go to the store and, and buy all this stuff. And he made gift packs for all his other siblings, for the trip, because we were going on a long ride across the country, whatever. So he made little gift packs for his brothers. Didn't have a sister at the time. You remember that? Remember when he did that? Maybe, okay. Anyway, but I thought it was so cool. I'm not making this up. I just thought it was so cool that it's like, wow, he is celebrating. I mean, he's, he's giving his money away, giving stuff just to bless and honor his brothers and sisters. Point is, we need to develop that where we celebrate. Even if I'm, if I'm looking for a promotion at work and I'm, I'm praying and believing God and I believe I'm the one that's supposed to be promoted in that position and all of a sudden this person gets it. And maybe it was political. Maybe it was political. Maybe the motives weren't perfect. But see, my faith has to be in God is the one who exalts and tears down. My faith has to be in the fact that, God, you see where I'm at. You know where I am. If you want to elevate or exalt me, I'm trusting you to do it. And when you do that, no man can stop it. I don't want to be promoted before you want to promote me. That's the kind of heart we have to have. That's the kind of faith we have to have that it's in him so that I don't give myself or get turned over to bitterness, jealousy, anger, resentment, those kinds of things, because they will tear you up. Amen? You know, I remember there was a, a story. There's two stories. One was Joseph. Remember when Joseph, the one with the coat of many colors and had the brothers that, that were jealous of him because he was arrogant and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, he got sold into slavery, ended up a slave, all that kind of stuff. Ended up in prison because he was accused of, of attacking Potiphar's wife and all that. Okay, we're on the same page. You know the story I'm talking about? And then he, there was, he was uh, in a prison and there was two guys that had dreams he interpreted the dreams for them, and he interpreted them correctly. One got elevated, one got executed. And the one that got elevated, he said, don't forget me. In other words, tell somebody about my wonderful gift so I can get myself out of this place, out of this dungeon. And I'm sure the, the cupbearer had every intention, of, oh, yeah, that was awesome, thank you, because he, his uh, dream interpretation was wonderful. And the Bible says he forgot all about Joseph, forgot all about him for two years. Here's Joseph seeing, 
his way out because this man that he just helped, he used his gift to serve this man, and this man, as a result, was exalted, elevated in, the, in that kingdom, Pharaoh's kingdom. He's like, dude, don't forget me. Remember me? He says, I got you. Forgot all about him. Two years later, Pharaoh has those dreams. He's like, what the heck is this all about? He's freaking out and everything. And then the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, I remember this dude that can tell you all about your dreams. He told him about Joseph. Joseph gets put before the king, and we know the story. He interprets the dream, and next thing you know, he becomes second in command, most, second most powerful man in, in the, on the planet. And it was at the perfect time. Joseph was wanting, please remember, please remember, please remember, the guy forgot. Apparently, the Lord wanted him to stay in that position until he saw fit to exalt him. We need to put, put our trust in God who humbles or exalts and not man. If you put your trust in man or women, we'll overlook you, we'll forget, we're limited and all that kind of thing. And if you're putting your trust in people, you're setting yourself up for failure over and over and over. There's another story. Remember Haman and Mordecai, Esther, the story of Esther? Mordecai was Esther's uncle. And he overheard two guys plotting to kill the king. So he told his, his niece, said, hey, these guys are planning on killing the king, executing him. So the niece told the king, they discovered and found out the plot was true, the guys were executed, but the king forgot all about the guy who saved his life. Forgot all about him. I don't know, the, and the, the Bible's not clear on how long, but he forgot about him. Then later on, remember Haman is setting up, he's angry with Mordecai, trying to set up a plot to kill all the Jews, including him. He was just angry and just vengeful and hateful. And at the right time, the king couldn't sleep. He says, hey, why don't you read to me? Just read to me. And so he was reading historical documents. And all of a sudden, one of the stories says, so-and-so saved your life. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Say that again? He said, yeah, Mordecai, he saved your life. Was anything ever done to honor this guy or reward him? Nope. Hmm. And at the perfect time, when Haman was coming in to destroy the people, and the perfect time, we know the story, Mordecai got exalted. He was forgotten about. See, sometimes you feel like you're forgotten about by man. I would recommend and encourage you to see it as God's season at your end of continuing to develop you continue to love on you and to draw you close to him and, and for you to get your eyes off people and, and your eyes on him and to trust him because he's the one that's faithful he's the one that has your fully 100 percent best interest remember the word that came this morning even when we've messed up and we feel like we're moved we've moved to plan b or c or d and god says nope i still got plan a for you because that's that's what he's like and so we have to get our eyes off people and get our eyes on him so we need to celebrate. We need to learn to celebrate one another. And I want to encourage you that this needs to go with other churches as well. You know, we're in a small community. Stillwater's not that big, in case you don't know. It's not that big. And there's, there's a whole bunch of churches. And the churches share people. You know what I mean by that? Some of you were in that church over there, or that one over there. Some of the people that were here over in that church. And so we all... Hey, you know, we all, we all share people. And what can happen, what happens is you've experienced something, you've experienced a hurt over there. 
And I know about a lot of the circumstances and situations and, and the, the pastors, what they've done and the, the bad choices. And, and I know a lot about that. I've been in Stillwater for over 30 years, 33 years actually. I was one when I moved here. And, and so I know a lot about the circumstances. And, and, not, and they're not pretty. They're not good. And so it's not like, oh, it's, it's okay, you're going to be okay. It's not excusing how you were treated, how you were hurt or whatever. There's no excuse for that. But what happens and what I want to encourage you with is how you, in, how you exit a church, a lot of times it's how you enter the new church. And here's what happens. You come in to, our, for example, you come into this church and you've been hurt in a certain way. And so you're very sensitive to the way you were hurt. And so you're looking in this church to see if that hurt is there. Like, hey, these people are pretty good here. And the way you were offended or hurt there, you don't see that here. So it's like, this is safe. Wow, this place is awesome. This place is perfect. And then you're, you're happy and you're okay and wonderful. But all of a sudden, if you did not deal with that hurt and that offense, then what happens is you become offendable. You become offendable. You become a person that all it takes is the right button or the right thing to happen, and boom, you're offended. You're hurt again. And then inevitably what happens is you're coming and you're looking and say, you know, that pastor or those people treated me this way or whatever, so you're very sensitive to that. And so all of a sudden something else, you run into one of our weaknesses. You run into a shortcoming here. Because, you know, there are people out there who have been hurt here. And so you run right into one of our weaknesses or, or you get offended or, or whatever. And then it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Here's another one. And then you leave again with a different offense, moving into another church that, okay, they're good. They're, they don't do that. And so you're safe. You, know, you, hear, you see what I'm saying? And there's this pattern. And so there's this hurt. And so I just want to encourage you. We have to learn to deal with that hurt so that, one, so we can be free. See that freedom up there? It's who you are. Bondage is not your identity. He paid for our freedom so we can be free. And we want the kind of environment, the creative kind of environment in this, in this house where we learn to deal with hurts. We, because, and one thing, we're going to hurt each other. If you haven't already been hurt or offended and, and felt overlooked or whatever, just stick around. It'll happen. And the reason why I'm saying that, it's like, are you, because every time I say something like that, my son, dad, what kind of a declaration is that? I'm like, well, hold on a second. When you have people, we hurt each other. We mess up. We make mistakes. We do stupid things. We have bad days where I may have a bad attitude and I run over a lot of people's feelings. And if you're not extending grace or if you're not committed to the relationship that we have where you say, you know, CJ, that really hurt my feelings when you said that. And either you misunderstood and I say, I did not mean it that way, or I meant it that way, and I'm so sorry, because that was stupid. <laughs> but because you're committed to relationship, you give me the opportunity to make things right. You give opportunity for us to be reconciled. If you don't do that, then you go away wounded and hurt again. And here's how we celebrate other churches. Even if you've been hurt at a church, here's how you celebrate them. You know, I was... Well, never mind. You celebrate them by praying for them, blessing them. 
and remembering their strengths. Remember why you were even attracted to that church in the first place. Man, they do such and such very well. Say, God, bless that. Bless that, whether it's their music, their children's church, whether it's their outreach, whether, whatever it is, say, God, bless them more. Let them be a powerhouse in the kingdom by that which they do well. And then say, God, help them if there's a perceived weakness. Now, don't pray for them out of your judgment. Don't call down fire and brimstone because they need to be judged because of the way they treated you. Remember when the, when the disciples were at Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire on those people because they rejected you? You know what Jesus said? You know not what spirit you're of. The people rejected Jesus in the gospel, so the disciples are going to take care of it. Hey, Jesus, just give us the word. We'll take care of this. He said, you want us to call down fire, judgment? He said, no. So we don't want to call down judgment on the people that have hurt us. We want to bless them. Even if they're your perceived enemy, Jesus says, bless your enemies. So there's nobody that should go without blessing from us. Because of course you bless those that love you, right? You should. And you should bless your enemies. So that includes everybody. And so let's be the kind of people that celebrate other churches. I was driving by one particular very large church, maybe the largest one in town, but I'm not going to mention any names. I was driving by that church and I was looking at it, and I had this judgment stuff forming up in me, thinking, man, they're just this, or they're just that, and they're all this kind of stuff. And then my daddy began to talk to me. And it wasn't, son, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Those people are worthless. I mean, I wasn't thinking they're worthless, but he didn't join in with my bad attitudes towards this church. He was not partnering with that at all. Now, there was someone else that, if I would have continued down that way, someone else would have partnered with me. His name is the accuser. And he's just waiting. He's like, hey, do I sense a partnership coming on? But fortunately, my father jumped in and said, son, mm -mm, those are my kids. You know, when you talk about, I challenge you to talk bad about a mama's kid in front of that mama. (laughs) I double dog dare you. Talking about stuff upside your head. Because the mom is not going to take kindly to you talking about her kids, are they? She ain't. Believe me, she ain't. Jesus doesn't either. You know the ones that he willingly took that beating for? And then we're going to come along and talk bad about them? No. He's not partnering with that at all. So as I was having my self-righteous attitude towards this church because (laughs) we're above that, and the Holy Spirit began, Holy Spirit began to deal with, deal with me, and, and he checked my attitude and encouraged me. He says, son, you need to bless them. Because see, what I perceive as, as lack or weakness or what they should be doing and they're not doing, I have no idea the conversations that the Father has had with the leaders there. I have no idea. I haven't been invited into their circle to say, this is what the Lord is telling us to do, how to do it. I'm like, oh, I understand. I haven't been invited into that circle. So I'm from the outside looking in. I have no idea what the Lord is telling them to do, so I have no right to judge what I see them doing. I shouldn't be judging. I shouldn't be judging. And so what he began to encourage me is bless. I bless them. I celebrate them. They are so good at this. They are so good at that. And all I'm saying is, now, you have to understand my position. As the pastor, many of you talk to me. 
Many, most, if not all of you, have talked to me at one point in time or another. And you shared a hurt, or you shared this or whatever. So I'm not saying all this to get you because of the things you've shared with me. I'm sharing things that we all struggle with at one point or another. We're common challenges, common struggles where we've been hurt, we're upset, we're, up, we're bitter or whatever. And it's like, okay, here's where we are. I've been hurt before. I've been offended. I've had opportunities to give into offense, and I have. But it's like, man, that didn't do a lot for me. Being offended did nothing for me. But I sure lost a lot of sleep. I sure had a lot of stomach aches. Had a lot of my mind, my thoughts being wasted on dwelling on these circumstances instead of being able to let creativity have its way. And so my heart is challenging you that we're not, we're not those kind of people. We're not the kind of people that give in to judgment, give in to bitterness, we're hurt and offended, and we're going to get them back, or we're going to tell everybody else how they hurt us. But we're going to do whatever it takes, and I invite you to do whatever it takes to seek healing. If that means sharing with me what you went through, I'm okay with that. That's what I do. That is okay for you to share with me whatever you're frustrated with or hurt or struggling with or whatever, so that you can be free. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Because we want the kind of environment here that is not only free, but we are learning what it means to love one another legitimately. Not theoretically, not lip service, but really loving each other. Because Jesus said, this is how the world's going to know that you're really my disciples, by how you love one another. See, in the world, they deal with relational challenges and problems. They have the same principles given to them or available to them, but they don't have the grace. They don't have the power to love their enemies. We do. We've been given the power by the Holy Spirit to love our enemies. So let's take full advantage of that and run with it. Number three, see, intentionally, let's intentionally seek ways to encourage and bless one another. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no, corrupt and, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to those who hear. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So let's let our words, let's look for opportunities to encourage one another. And lastly, number four, I'm going to have to spend more time on this another time, but I just want to mention it now. The person first, give second. Person first, give second. What do I mean by that? We want the kind of atmosphere that when you come here, we care more about you than we do your gift. As a matter of fact, we're not really interested in your gift right now. We just want you. We want to know who you are. We want to know what you're about. We want to know what makes you happy, what makes you sad, what you get excited about, what are your dreams and everything. Because, see, if you come at me or us with your gift and, hey, here's what I do well and all that kind of stuff, and we say, hey, that's pretty cool. Why don't you come and let's do that? What can happen is, after time, because I'm using your gift, because you're helping fulfill a spot to help my kingdom get established, so all of a sudden you think, wait a minute, does he really care about me or is it just what I, 
I'm able to do for him. It's like, I feel kind of used. See what I'm saying? And un- unintentionally, I believe that happens in the church a lot because a lot of times we're desperate. We need help. We need help. We need help. So you come in, it's like, hey, you can do this. Come on in. And I don't know anything about you, and I really don't care because all I care about is what you can do for me. We do not want that. We do not want to establish that even by accident. So we are all about, hey, we want to know you. We want to know what you're about. We want to get to know each other. And then if, capital I, capital F, if your gift ever gets used, good. If it never does, that should also be good. Because it shouldn't be about your gift, it should be about you. And then if God decides he wants to use your gift in the context of this relationship, then praise God. And if he doesn't, but we still get you. Praise God. I'll talk more about that another time. Because I have more to say on that. Let's all stand together. You are valuable way beyond your gift. So if your gift doesn't get used or sought out, that's not a rejection of you. We want you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to work in our hearts in the areas that need help. Whether it's our expectations or it's jealousy or hurt and offense. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, we just give you permission and we ask you to help us because we know that you have our best interest in mind. And I pray right now, Lord, that every single person here would realize just get a glimpse of their value in your eyes. They would just be reminded of how valuable they are to you. And I thank you, Father, that we are, we are intentionally moving towards valuing each other with the value that you place on them. Not the value that we place on them, but the value that you place on them. We are going to begin to treat each other that way. I thank you that not only are you teaching us that, but you are giving us the strength and the power and the desire to do that. We thank you for what you're doing in this house, Lord. And we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.